and we kicked off our series uh, on our core values, the Together We series. And so we established last week that our first value, core value, is Together We Worship. And so what we've just experienced uh, is, is, as part of our worship, and, and may, may be clear, uh, the singing part is not all of worship. That is a component of worship. That's a part of worship. It's an important part of worship that we're called to all be engaged in, not just the ones that can do it on pitch, even ones like me that can't, okay? So we're called to do that, uh, to give God the glory that, that he is due. So last week we established that, that we are a worshiping church. We're not just to worship by ourselves, although there's a personal worship component that's involved in that. We are called to be individual worshipers. And uh, Romans 12 says we ought to present our bodies as living sacrifices, that that is our spiritual act of worship. So the way that we live is an act of worship if we're reflecting Jesus and how we're doing that. But then we come together as the body of Christ, as the family assembled together. That's what we're doing right here. And so what we have just done, hopefully, we bless the heart of God with that. Now, if you don't feel like you were really engaged in blessing the heart of God, we're going to give you another chance next Sunday. You can come back, and we're going to do a little bit better and sing a little bit more enthusiastically. But we get to be part of that. And then this time where we break open the Word of God, that's part of our worship experience as well. We receive God's Word as His gift from us. We take it, we hear what He says, and we commit to adjust our lives to the truth that He reveals to us through His Word. And that's the experience that we're in. And so first key value, core value for us here at First West is Together We Worship. Today, we're looking at Together We Equip. Equip, that's an interesting word. It's a biblical word, by the way. And, uh, but it's not just a biblical word. It's a word that, that, uh, that we use all the time. There's, there's some words that we use in church life that we don't use a whole lot outside the walls. I kind of joked about this last week uh, over there. Man, we, we use the word fellowship a lot. Man, we're, we're going to fellowship together. We're going to have a fellowship. We don't typically use the word fellowship outside of the church life and stuff. What we're just trying to say is, I don't know why we couldn't. I was an old youth pastor, you know, for mo- a, lot of, a lot of my early days in my ministry career. And, you know, we're going to have a youth fellowship. Man, we're having a party. Let's just tell it what it is, all right? We're having a party. We're getting together. We're going to have fun. That's, that's what it is. Well, th- this equip word, it is a relevant biblical word for us to be able to use. And so um, I just want you to think, how many of you out there have been equipped for the job you're in or the job you used to have while you were still working prior to retirement? How many of you, by a show of hands, have received equipping to do different aspects of that job? Yeah, most of us, of course. Man, you, you have to be trained and taught in order to be able to achieve the outcome that's most desirable for the business or the organization that you're a part of. That is just completely logical. So whether it's a new job and, 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 then, and then continuing education ongoing, you don't just get equipped one time. Typically each year, there's probably a little bit more. There's a freshening up. There's more information. There's the latest practices and we get equipped for those. If you commit to serve in a, in a volunteer role in our church, in our community, there's there's an equipping process because we want you to be able to know how to do that role to the very best of your ability to get the greatest outcome for the organization. That is, that is really important. So if we get equipped in those parts of our life, doesn't it make sense that we need to be equipped for the most significant part of our lives, our walk with Jesus, the thing that really matters, not just on this side of heaven, but into eternity. And so today we're looking at Together We Equip. I want to invite you to stand with me just one more time here. And this is for the reading of God's Word. 
or in the, 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 the first passage we're going to look at today is Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this uh, truth that happened in the book of Acts. Lord, thank you for what we've already read from, from Ephesians about be, being equipped uh, just to, to do the work that you've called us to do. And so, Lord, today, as we break open the word, as we need to adjust our lives to the truth that you revealed to us, Lord, help us to be willing to do that and receive it gladly from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you're being seated. No secret, obviously, by now you understand that the main idea we're looking at today is together we equip. Our second core value here at First West is that, that we are to be equipped and be equippers. So equip means to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose. Now, it's not just materials, not just stuff, but also training in how to use them. And it comes under uh, our big picture vision at First West, which is to see people changed by the gospel and living out their Christ-centered purpose. Each of us that are believers in Jesus has a Christ-centered purpose. There are things that he has placed in us. There's, there's a wiring that he has done, so to, so to speak, in us, and a giftedness that he has placed in each of us, spiritual gifts that we have, and, and that is to, to comprise a Christ-centered purpose, how we do the best good for the greatest value, which is a kingdom value. It's what, what he is about. You as a believer in Jesus have a Christ-centered purpose. He believes that much in each of us that he would give us purpose and give us role to, to walk through and to live out. So the first thing that we see from this passage in Acts chapter 19 is this. Equipping others means investing our time. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Remember, previously he was known as Saul. He was a Pharisee, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was steeped in the scriptures. He knew them. He had to memorize them, and he knew them, but the twistedness of what he arrived at was the conclusion that it was okay for him to be part of persecuting those that were now following Jesus Christ. And so you'll remember back in Acts chapter 9, think about it, we're in Acts 19, so just 10 chapters ago, he is struck blind on the road to Damascus, and the Lord speaks to him out of heaven, gets his attention, and says, why are you persecuting me? And, and man, Paul, he couldn't do anything but realize that he had been wrong, that there was a God, that his son was Jesus Christ, and that when he was hurting the, the people that were following Christ, he was doing that to Christ. And it changed everything about him, radically changed him, and he totally did a 180, and now he is after, after Jesus, and he is effective at, at communicating the gospel, and he is a missionary. The scripture, if you read the totality of it, there's nothing that indicates that Paul was any great speaker or preacher, but there was just something about him that enabled him to be able to convey the truth of the Lord. He, he wasn't just this impressive, awesome-looking dude to look at and go, yeah, man, that guy, he's the one we want to listen to. Now, he was a guy that God put his hand on, and, and, and he agreed to be faithful and to walk it out. And so here he is in, in establishing the first century church, what we know as the New Testament church. He goes into the synagogue, which was his pattern when he went to different places. He goes to the synagogue, and says he spoke boldly over a period of three months. So three months he's there, 
and he is arguing and persuading with those. And, you know, they, that, that Greek thought, there was a lot of that, that give and take, and they love to debate and kind of wrestle through things. And so Paul is doing that, and he is making the case that Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that all these Old Testament scriptures that they were steeped in was pointing ahead to. So Jesus was, was that, that deliverer. He was that answer that they were looking for, and he is making that case, and he is teaching them about the kingdom of God, how they're supposed to live in light of the reality of what Jesus has come to, to do and to be. Well, there were those that became hardened, verse 9 says, and they wouldn't believe. It says that they slandered the way in front of the crowd. The way, capital W-A-Y, their way in your Bible, is, was an early term that was used to refer to, to what we now know as Christians and what we are today as Christians. The way, they, they were the followers of Jesus. It was a, a new bent on this, this religion that they had, had counted on for so long. The, the way were those that said, no, Jesus is the fulfillment of it, and we're going to follow after him. So they were slandering them in front of the crowd. And, and so, now look, if I have my pick of crowds to speak to, I would rather speak to a crowd that is interested in what I have to say, that has a good attitude, or at the very minimum is just polite and at least hear me out. I've spoken to plenty of groups before that, that didn't believe what I believe. I, I've, I've been, had the opportunity to preach the gospel in front of folks that, well, there were no believers out there, some that hadn't even heard the name of Jesus yet, but at least they were polite. Paul is speaking to those that are arguing with him. And, and, and it, was, it was, I mean, they're slandering them, man, making fun of what they believed in and just running them down and lying about it. And so he withdraws from them and he takes a group of disciples. Now, this is not the original 12. This term disciples is believers, a group of believers that were committed to walking it out and to, to being multipliers of the faith, if you will. He takes them and they go, and he conducts discussions every day in what's called the lecture hall of Tyrannus. We don't know 100% definitively exactly what this, what this is. Um, it's likely that it was a rented uh, space that belonged maybe to a guy named Tyrannus. And so they rented that, and they had a, had a place where they could go, and at least Paul could pour into them the truths of the kingdom of God. Because think about, about why this had to happen. What was really going on here? Well, it's the beginning of the New Testament church. So basic teaching and training had to happen, and obviously it's in the form of discussions, and Paul's training them, and they're able to ask questions, and he's just kind of pouring this truth into them. And he was, again, grounded in Old Testament Scripture, but he was able to make the connection because he had had that encounter with Jesus with what was to come. And then he's taken the teaching of Jesus, and he is pouring that out to them, and they're responsible for taking that and passing it on to others. That's the pattern here. That's the significance of what's going on right here. He teaches the truths of the kingdom of God. So they had a need to be equipped, and then they had a need and a responsibility to be equippers. And so do we. That expectation still holds true today, that, that we, as believers in Christ, are to be equipped. We need to know what it is that we believe. We need to receive this truth, but then also 
We are part of the disciple-making process. Matthew 28, we call the Great Commission, tells us that we're to go and to make disciples of all the nations, that that is a responsibility that's not just for missionaries that we pay and send out to do it or preachers that, that, that we pay to do that job. As believers in Jesus, we're called to be part of that mission together. So he is shaping that and he is aiming them in that direction and he is equipping them to do what ultimately we're the beneficiaries of. Let's think about that. Because they were faithful, they were equipped, they were taught, and they taught others who taught, others who taught, and it spread and spread, and ultimately it it, it gets to us. And here we are today still teaching and preaching this truth. That was significant. There was an intentionality about it that required an investment of time. Now, I want us to just to think for just a second here and be honest, all right? I'm not asking anybody to speak out loud. You just think in your own head, okay? This is you and the Lord. If the only equipping in righteousness or training in the Scripture that you receive, the only equipping that you get in walking out your faith is what happens during the sermon that you get during worship time, then I want, you to, I want you to understand how incomplete and how dangerous that is, okay? Honestly, the average attendance for most regular attenders is two to three times a month. That's it. Now, some of you, got, you, some of you hardly ever miss. I mean, you, you're here, here. Unless you're just deathly ill, you're going to be here. God bless you for that. But rest of us, man, look, the, the life happens, man. You, you got grandbabies that live in other places out there. Or, you know, you're going here or there. Your job calls you out or whatever it is. But, but let's just say and be honest, you know, we, very few of us have a perfect attendance record. So two to three times a month, and if the only thing you're doing is coming into worship, then you're getting roughly 40 minutes of sermon. Some of y'all are going, Mark, please, I wish you'd only preach for 40 minutes. I, I, apparently, you can't do that math either. Well, all right. We try to aim it for that, roughly um, that, that time frame. Sometimes a little less, more often a little bit more, whatever. Just let me just time out, personal privilege right here. What I tell my wife, who, and y'all may, I may have, did I say this to this crowd before here? Y'all may have heard me this. My, my wife, you know, she tells me to, hey, keep it quick, you know, uh, when, when you get up there to preach. And, and my response is always, I only preach as long as you need it, okay? <laughs> so if we go long, that's on you, not on me, all right? So there you go, parenthesis over. Um, roughly 40 minutes of sermon, three times a month, that equals 1,440 minutes a year, which is 24 hours in a year. How many hours are in a day? 24 hours. Did you hear what I just said? If your equipping is 40 minutes, three times a month, the equivalent over the course of a year of your equipping is one day out of 365. Huh. If the only equipping you receive is coming to worship once a week, two times a month, That's 960 minutes a year. That's 16 hours. Now, obviously, it doubles if you attend life group. You would have heard a glorious video and experienced it, a testimony about what life group means in the life of our church if our technology had worked. It's going to be up this week on the First West website. 
uh, or, or on our Facebook post. So make sure you go and check out and watch the video that talks about life groups. That's a key part of Together We Equip. We intentionally have life groups where you come together with a group of believers where we open God's Word, we teach His Word, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we do some things, some life together. Man, in fact, my life group today, man, when we're done with worship, we have said that once a month we go out to eat lunch together just to, just to encourage one another and, and to grow in our relationship with one another. So if you're part of a life group then and, and you're there in life group, and you're there in worship, then it doubles. And then if you do that and are part of a, a D group, which is another level of, of commitment, of equipping, where you with a group of three or four other believers are committed to reading the same scripture throughout the week, coming together once a week, talking about what God has shown you, how you're growing and that, what you're going to do about what you've learned and adjust your life to, what you need to pray for, and then to be equipped together on how to best share your faith. This, this work of ministry, it involves that. So obviously it multiplies there. So my contention to you is this. I would submit that if three times a month at 40 minutes a month is the extent of your equipping, the I don't have time is really not a valid excuse, is it? For any of us. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm preaching to us. You hear me? We, we have to be realistic. If you're being equipped for the most important role that you have and you're giving one day out of 365 days, does that sound like a high level of priority? Something for us to think about and to consider. What would be a relevant investment of your time? Now, that's just on the receiving equipping. We're called to be equippers. That's part of what we are supposed to do. Equipping others is significant. The second thing that we see here from this passage is that equipping others makes a kingdom impact. Look at verse 10. So this, this, these discussions that they were having from verse 9 says, This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of God. All of them heard the word of the Lord. Now, I want to take you back. Now, think about it. All, all of the folks in Asia, both Jews and Greeks, they're hearing the word of the Lord. Back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' last words there that he gives before he ascends into heaven, this is post-resurrection, or is that, that you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the path that he has set believers on right there. So they come together. He is pouring into them. And the result of what goes on for this two years is that ultimately over time, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, let's just be realistic. Do you think that all of the residents of Asia over that two-year period made their way into the lecture hall of Tyrannus? Really? Of course not. That's not what happened. Faithful men were equipped, and they equipped, and they taught, and they trained, and it multiplied out, and it went, and it went, and it went. And ultimately, here we are today. Had they not been faithful, we wouldn't be where we are today. You understand that? Had they not carried it on and been equippers and multiplied out the truth of what God poured into them, taught the truth of the kingdom of God, it wouldn't have gotten to us. 
And we're part of that continuing story. God calls us to be part of that today, that, that he's still writing, writing history. It's still happening, not just business as usual, but folks, we're called to be invested in making a kingdom impact that changes the world. So I hope that changes a perspective. If you've had a perspective that, you know what, I just got to make it through Sunday morning. I need to be there, tip my hat to the Lord, you know, make my appearance, sit there, endure my 40-ish minutes of, of, of the message and stuff, and I'm good to the next week. That is a total misunderstanding of what God wants for each of us. Man, he wants us to be full of his spirit. He wants us to take that spirit that, that, that has indwelled us as believers is the way that Scripture describes that. And he wants us to take the truth that we know because of that and to pour that out and to invest that in others. That's important part of what, what needs to happen. So we get to be part of investing time, and we're called to invest our personal time both being equipped and being equippers and not just to spin our wheels and make ourselves feel good or make other people think that we're spiritual, but no, it's to have an impact that is far beyond us that reaches not only our local community, but it is to reach our local community. And I'm talking about all of our local community, Jews and Greeks kind of were impacted by it. But for us, we've got that mission to hit the rest of the world. And that's why we're engaged in it. I want to encourage you, man, if you haven't gotten one of these See To It magazines, um, yet on the way out today, grab one of these and read an update on what we're involved in and what's going on, not just right here in our community, but to the ends of the earth. There, there are faithful ones that, that have heard God's call in their life and they've gone out there to, to serve and we're helping that to happen. We, we get to be involved in incredible things for the Lord, not because we're awesome and incredible and have all the giftedness in the world, but because he is a great God. And he has poured his spirit out on us, and we get to leak that out. Man, we're we we are called to give others that. So this impact that you get to be part of is way beyond business as usual. The third thing I want us to see today really comes from the passage of Scripture that we read earlier in Ephesians 4. And that is this, equipping others matures the body of Christ. It matures the body of Christ. Jesus, this one who descended, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And this is what he did. There was intentionality in that. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Let me hold up right there. Scripture uh, in several places in the New Testament gives us lists of spiritual gifts. None of the places that it does that is an exhaustive list. The lists are not duplicate lists. There, there's just kind of a body of, of things that, that we recognize as gifts. You can look in, a, in 1 Corinthians 12. You can look in Romans 12. And you see, obviously, right here, none of these gift lists are exact. There, is, there are a number of gifts that are given by the Lord. They are not the same as talents or abilities. It is a gifting. It's a spiritual gift that happens when we are become believers in Christ. When we receive him, his spirit comes into us and we are spiritually gifted. Now, there's a process of discovery that may need to happen. If it's not obvious to you what your spiritual gift might be, then, then you want to be uh, looking for that and, and seeking that. Lord, hey, what, what is it that you've gifted me to do? And then, and then you, that's part of the value of being in a life group. You've got other brothers and sisters that can speak into your life and say, hey, I can see you doing this. Or have you considered this? But, but living out these spiritual gifts is really important for us. Well, 
some of these gifts are given to pastors and teachers, and that's really kind of like a pastor slash teacher, probably the appropriate way of understanding this um, as, as we interpret it from Greek into, into English here, pastor-teacher role. And this look at this pastor-teacher role, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what's the work of ministry? Well, it involves evangelism, sharing the gospel, discipleship, helping the people to, to grow in their relationship with the Lord, understanding about prayer and how to meet people's needs out there. There are multiple things that, that represent the work of ministry, and it's not just for what the, your professionals are called to do. Those of us that you have called to be pastors at your church, that, that you compensate for doing that, it is not resting with us according to Scripture right here. It is incredibly important that we understand that your leaders, our key responsibility is to train the body for the work of ministry, not to be the hired guns that do all the ministry stuff. That, that's not God's plan. It's very clear that we are to equip you to do the work of ministry. Here's why. Every Christian, every Christian, I didn't say most Christians, I didn't say some Christians, I didn't say the highly gifted ones that are good at doing all the stuff ones are doing that. Every Christian is a full-time, God-called, God-gifted minister. That's you. If you're a believer in Jesus, Say it with me. I am gifted. Say it. I am gifted. You're right. You are. That's not because I say so, because God's word says so. So this equipping, this term means to call something to be ready for its assigned purpose. That's what we are here to do, to try to be a help to you, to help you to grow in that, to identify what it is and to grow in it and use it for God's glory. That's the role there, but it's not about pastors doing all the work. And it is a big, major problem when we think that ministry is only to be done by professionals. That, that, that's just like there's some things that, that only pastors that are, are, are called to do. That, that's just not at all what the New Testament says. The best way to think of our role is more like a player coach, okay? Um, doesn't happen much these days, but uh, some of you that, are, that, have, that have been around sports a little bit longer, you might recall some times in history where different guys were called to, into the role of a player coach. They had been on their team for a good while. They had excelled as an athlete and as a leader, and then they did not hire a coach for that team, but they, they, one of the players that was especially skilled or gifted became the coach, and so he played and he coached. Now, that's a challenging thing to be able to work both of them out, but that's the way it is, but that's, that's kind of what it looks like for us. We're player coaches. Let, let me give you a real-life example of that. Um, in addition to my role as a pastor here, I'm also a member of this church. You know, I, I, in fact, my mem church membership really supersedes my pastoral role. I'm a member of the body. I, I'm one of us, okay? I, I'm not separate out here. None of us pastors are. I'm part of the body. So, as part of the body, I'm also part of a life group. And so, several years ago, Ann and I were part of a life group that we love very much. I, as a pastor, and I mean, I've got multiple degrees and all that kind of stuff. I never had to teach one single life group lesson in my group, not once. I'd get there a little bit late because of my roles on Sunday morning. I'd leave a little bit early because of my role on Sunday morning. And I never had to teach that group one single time because there were men that stepped up in that class that knew that God had gifted them to teach and they taught faithfully. And I was able to be blessed and encouraged by that and be a participating member of that life group. And I'm part of one today, a different one now, and I'll explain that to you. 
So after a while of being in that life group, I t- I'm looking around church and I'm seeing there's some of my friends that are sitting around the building and they're not involved in a life group. And I'm like, hey, man, we got friends out there that aren't going to life group. I think we probably need to start one. She said, Mark, I love our life group. I don't want to leave our life group. Sound familiar? It should. Some of you rascals said the same thing. Oh, man, the idea of launching a new life group, you would act like I just dropped, kicked your grandbaby or something, man. I mean, ha, 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 can we do no, we're called to be involved in a disciple-making, multiplying ministry. I said, Ann, I'm not going to be a hypocritical staff member that preaches well to multiply life groups and not be willing to do it. She's like, I agree. Let's get one going. So we start talking to folks and saying, hey, look, I notice you're not in a life group. We're looking at starting one. Sign me up. Looking to start one. Some, you do it, I'm in. And we built a life group. I told them on day one, let me just make something really clear to you guys. In this life group, yeah, we're going to study God's word. Um, we're going to love one another. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to challenge and encourage one another. We're going to serve one another, but we're also going to multiply this group into another one at some time that's appropriate in the future. Just understand that hopefully a year from now, this group will not look the same. I laid the cards out day one and we would have done that. And we were on a trajectory to do that because that group was growing, 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 man, just because they were doing their job of telling other people and inviting them to come and COVID hit. And so that kind of put the brakes on that. But do you know that our life group, we even added members during COVID. We've got some folks now that are here at our church every week that are plugged into life group that weren't before. And they started from a simple invitation and they started watching us online on the Zoom until we could start meeting and meeting together. Okay. So we get back together. That group's going and going and thriving. And finally, uh, and I'd put this out there before our group, and Kerry McCoy was our director of, of, of our life group there. And one day at the end of life group, he and I are the last ones in the room. We're about to walk out. He says, I mean, and our room had been packed that day. He said, looks like it's time to launch a new one. And I'm like, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yes, it is. And so we did. And so now from that group that I was in, that I didn't have to do anything in other than attend and show up, didn't have to teach anything at all, they cared about us. They prayed us out. When I told them my idea to start a new life group, they prayed for us, put us on their prayer list. Hey, for the new life group that Mark and Anna are launching, we're going to be praying. And they prayed us out. And we started that, that next group. And then they prayed us out. We started another one. I just want you to know that is part of my experience here as a member at First West. I don't get paid to teach that life group. In fact, I rarely teach it now, especially during this renovation schedule, because I'm preaching most Sundays, right? But other guys rose up and emerged. Some guys that really hadn't taught before. That previous life group that we got started, there was one guy in there that uh, I'd, I'd gotten to be friends with. And after I'd never been in a Bible study situation with him, and after a little while of hearing him and how he responded and, and the insight that he gave, I'm like, that dude knows what's up. And he could teach. I had lunch with him. And you ever thought of teaching? When one of us pastors calls you for lunch, you need to get ready. <laughs> That's not always true. I eat somewhere every day. I'm not always recruiting. Just by the way, I'm, I'm very proficient at it and very committed to eating. And uh, I'm there doing that. But man, I loved, I can still remember where we were sitting and at lunch. And I said, hey, man, have you ever considered teaching? He's like, I really hadn't. I said, I really think that there's something going on with you and you'd be good at it. He's like, you think so? I think so. Would you be willing to substitute one Sunday and give it a try? Yeah, I'll do that. I got him the material, coached him up for just a little bit on how to do it. Now he is a regular full-time teacher, 
every bit as good as me or any of the other pastors are here at the church. He just had to get called out to do it. That may be where you are. Man, I don't know what my giftedness is. And not, look, everybody's not gifted to teach or called to teach. But some of you are that aren't teaching right now. Some of you are. And I'm just telling you, as long as you hold God off like this, you're being rebellious and disobedient. And you're going to be accountable for that. Now, teaching is not the only thing. There's lots of things, man, that, that happened there. Man, we got folks in preschool down there. There's some, some, some committed, hardcore, solid, tough old daddies that, that are, have a touch with babies, bed babies. And it just, I mean, they're wonderful with it. You might be one of those guys. You might be, hey, if you can smile and say hello, you are qualified to be a greeter on Sunday mornings. That is a significant thing. But in, in addition to that, there are so many ministries, both in our church and outside of the church, local ministry partners that are looking for volunteers. There is no shortage of opportunity for you to be able to serve. But I'll tell you this right now. This is me griping just a little bit. I'm your friend. You, I love you. We should not have to be scrambling each year to find teachers for our children and our teenagers in life group. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. There are plenty of us that are God called to do that that need to step up and take our responsibility serious to be equippers of the next generation. We're called to be equipped, but we're called to be equippers. And when you multiply, you equip others to be disciples that make disciples, it's a multiplied effect. That's how we got here. What's the, the end of this? Look at this. To build up the body of Christ. That's the role. That's the significant thing that, that happens. We reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. This building up the body of Christ, that is what we are called to be part of. When we equip one another, we're building up the body. That is a significant role right there. It's not just on us as individuals. It's for the body. Now, let me tell you what a lot of us have said. I say us. Maybe you've been in this situation before. Maybe you served for a good while, or maybe you really hadn't served a whole lot, but you sit back and say, you know what? I, and I've had, look, I've had people tell me this. Mark, I just really need to be fed. In fact, we've had folks that have decided they didn't want to be part of our church anymore. They want to go somewhere else. Why? Well, I just feel like I wouldn't be fed. Being fed what? Man, we're, we're breaking open the Word of God every week in life groups and in, in, our, in our worship time, in our message time. Typically, when somebody says, I don't want to, you know, I can't do that because I, I, I just need to be fed, what you're saying is I don't want to serve. Did I just jump on a toe right there? I understand. I, I, I feel it. There's some things, hey, sometimes I want to sit back and be fed too. But at some point, who are you feeding? If you're a believer in Jesus, you've got a feeding responsibility. So how are you doing it? And it may not be in front of a group. Man, it might just be just one-on-one, -on -one, man. Just, just investing in somebody and helping to disciple them. Mark, I just don't think I'm qualified. Ho, 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 ho. If you said yes to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has indwelt you. Therefore, you are qualified. In order to take a person to help them make a step, your only qualification is that you can take two steps. You hear me? You don't have to be way over here to do it. Man, you just give them what you got. And then you take another one and they take another one. 
right? So if you're waiting for some great revelation, let me tell you, again, I, man, I got, I've got to do a doctoral degree. There's way more about the, the Lord than I, that I don't know than what I know. I'm still after him. I still want to know. So you're not going to get it all. I'm telling you that we're called to be equippers until we all reach unity in the faith. We're building up the body. We're growing in maturity, okay? We're reaching unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son because it's not just about knowing stuff. It's about knowing Jesus. And by the way, this knowledge is a full experiential knowledge, okay? The Gnostics were a group of false teachers that acted like there's this special knowledge that you've got to have to have access to the kingdom of God. And it's just this mysterious kind of kind of thing knowledge of the son of god is an informational knowledge that you grab hold of and you hear but it transforms you from the inside out and it becomes an experiential knowledge and so you do what it is that jesus has commanded us to do and gifted us to do that's what the knowledge looks like and we grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's what it wants to be. Who are you feeding? 2 Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Together we equip. Not together we watch people equip. Not together we hope they get equipped. Not together I sit and soak. Together we equip. We are equipped. We're equipped to be equippers, to help others to take a step closer to Jesus. Would you bow with me, please? And right now, in the quietness of this moment, I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. Where are you on the equipping spectrum? If you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. That is the baseline of equipping that has to happen in your life. You've been in church for a good while, man. You've heard a whole lot of Bible. You've been taught a lot of Bible lessons. Are you doing anything about what you've heard? Or are you acquiring more information? We're not called to sit and soak and become biblically obese in our knowledge, but being anemic in our service. I'm calling you to take seriously the calling on your life to be an equipper. Sorry, I don't have a phone number for that. How about that? Uh, serious. When you say serious, she takes you seriously. <laughs> and she does not have an equipping phone number. Well, guess what, Miss Siri? I better not say that out loud. How awesome is that? She doesn't know everything. She's not been committed to equipping, but we are. So I call us back. Are you open to being equipped? Are you allowing God to use you to use your giftedness for him and for his glory? Today, would you commit to doing that? Again, bow with me. For those of you that are believers, you know what to do. Would you just tell the Lord what you're willing to do right now? Acknowledge what you haven't been doing, but what you need to be doing. And say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but my yes is on the table, and I'm willing. Now, if you're in here and you have to be honest and say, you know, Mark, I, I really, I'm really not on that spectrum there because I never said yes to Jesus. Then right now, 
in the quietness of this moment, you can change that. Would you do what the scripture says to do? And that is to receive Jesus. Just a simple acknowledgement, your heart to God. God, I know that you love me. That you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin, to pay a price that I couldn't pay. And I'm sorry for that. God, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Equip me to live for you and to be one that equips others. Lord, I want to live that life. And so no more me. I want you. My answer is yes. I surrender. And I mean this with all my heart. Father, you hear the prayers that have gone up today. Lord, would you honor them? Would you receive these to yourself? Lord, like you promised that you would do. Lord, as they receive you, you make them your children. God, and confirm that in their spirit that they belong to you. God, would you do that among us today? Ultimately, for your honor and glory, Lord, we receive your truth. Help us to be committed to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen.